Dean, once again. <clears throat> Zechariah 14. And we'll re read verses 1 through 11. Zechariah 14. Behold, a day is coming for the Lord when the spoil taken from you will be divided among you. For I will gather all the nations against Jerusalem to battle, and the city will be captured, the houses plundered, the women ravished, and half the city exiled, but the rest of the people will not be cut off from the city. Then the Lord will go forth and fight against those nations as when he fights on a day of battle. And in that day his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives, which is in front of Jerusalem on the east, and the Mount of Olives will be split in its middle from east to west by a very large valley, so that half of the mountain will move toward the north and the other half toward the south. And you will flee by the valley of my mountains, for the valley of the mountains will reach to Azel. Yes, you will flee just as you fled before the earthquake in the days of Uzziah, king of Judah. Then the Lord, O oh my God, will come, and all the holy ones with him. And it will come about in that day that there will be no light. The luminaries will dwindle. Literally, the glorious ones will congeal. For it will be a unique day, which is known to the Lord, neither day nor night. But it will come about that at evening time there will be light. And it will come about in that day that living waters will flow out of Jerusalem, half of them toward the eastern sea, and the other half toward the western sea. <clears throat> it will be in summer as well as in winter. And the Lord will be king over all the earth. In that day the Lord will be the only one and his name the only one. All the land will be changed into a plain from Geba to Rimmon south of Jerusalem. But Jerusalem will rise and remain on its site from Benjamin's gate as far as the place of the first gate to the corner gate. And from the tower of Hananel to the king's wine presses. And people will live in it. And there will be no more curse. For Jerusalem will dwell in security. We've been considering now for several weeks this great 14th chapter of the book of Zechariah. A very unusual chapter in many ways. And um, full of powerful statements. And we've seen, I trust, that whatever fulfillment this may have already had uh, down through history, the language here and the allusions to this language in the New Testament certainly seem to point to something more, and particularly the last day. Uh, the day that, according to verse 5, the Lord, oh my God, will come and all the holy ones with him, all the angels. And again, um, the, the day in which the Lord will be king over all the earth and his uh, name the only one and the Lord the only one. Uh, uh, again in verse 7, a unique day known to the Lord. And verse 6, a day in which there will be all types of cosmic um, 
shaking up and breaking up and cataclysm, whether spiritually or physically or part, maybe partly both. And so, uh, the last day. And we looked last, not, last week at verse 9, uh, where it says, The Lord, in that day, the Lord will be king over all the earth. In that day, the Lord will be the only one in His name. The only one. <clears throat> and we saw that even though God is already king, and He is, and He's already ruling uh, all over this world in one sense, in that He uh, frustrates and overthrows the plans of wicked men, turns even evil things for good. And in that sense, He's ruling right now. But what this is talking about is a day coming in which God will be king over the earth in the sense that all men will freely bow to Him. Uh, His will will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now right now, His will is being done in some sense in everything, even uh, even the sinful actions of men. In some sense, God is accomplishing His purposes. But in that day, His will will be done on earth as it is in heaven. How is it done in heaven? Well, it's done will, willingly, joyfully, and uh, uniformly. Uh, those in heaven do the will of God, and that's the way it will be in that day. He will be king over all the earth. Jesus shall reign where'er the sun doth his successive journeys run. His kingdom will stretch from shore to shore till sun shall rise and set no more. And so that's what... Uh, is going to happen in that day. The Lord will be king, recognized king, and men will gladly bow to him over all the earth. And two aspects of that. First of all, all idols will be utterly gone forever. The Lord will be the only one. There won't be anything competing for place with God. Uh, God will be first in every heart, every person that you meet. One thing you'll know before you meet them is that God is first in their heart and uh, He will be the one on the throne of their heart. So all idols will be destroyed. And then secondly, we saw that it means that there will be perfect unity among the people of God. No differences in understanding, no differences in doctrine. Uh, All the people of God uh, in their understanding of truth and in their worship of God will be absolutely perfectly one. And His name will be one. And worship will ascend in absolute perfect harmony all over the whole world. No wrong concepts about God. No false teaching about God's name in any way, shape, or form. And that includes every one of us. I mean, all of us have wrong ideas about God in many different ways. And in that day... uh, There won't be this voice and that voice. There will be one perfectly unified voice speaking forth the glories of God. The Lord will be one and His name one. Well, we come today then to verse 10. And let me just read it again. All the land will be changed into a plain from Geba to Rimmon south of Jerusalem, but Jerusalem will rise and remain on its site. Uh, this Geba to Rimmon, uh, just another way of saying that all of Judah from the northern border to the southern border border will be become a plain. 
And yet, what about Jerusalem? Well, Jerusalem will rise. The land will be changed into a plain through the entire land of Judah. It will be changed into a plain, but Jerusalem will rise. Now, um, what does this mean? Let me just begin by asking you a question. What is the natural state of Jerusalem? Does anybody remember what the what it's like around there? And what about around Jerusalem, the surrounding area? Remember Psalm 125, as the mountains are round about Jerusalem, so the Lord is round about His people. So the situation is, right now, Jerusalem is surrounded with mountains. It's The mountains are round about Jerusalem. Now He's saying in that day, all that land's going to flatten out and become a plain, and Jerusalem will rise. Now what's this talking about? Well, let's look up some verses, and uh, I think we'll see more um, in order to get the answer to that. First of all, in Isaiah chapter 40, uh, we see some similar language. Isaiah 40 and uh, verses, well, starting, <clears throat> starting at verse 3. A voice is calling, clear the way for the Lord in the wilderness. Make smooth in the desert a highway for our God. Let every valley be lifted up, and every mountain and hill be made low. And let the rough ground become a plain, and the rugged terrain a broad valley. Then the glory of the Lord will be revealed and all flesh will see it together for the mouth of the Lord is, has spoken. So here it's talking about making smooth in the desert a highway. Well, that must be talking about a building project over in the Holy Land. Well, we know what it's talking about from the New Testament, don't we? So let's go look at that in Luke chapter 1. Now this is amazing and I was... Uh, I've read these things many times, but I was just impressed with it again. In Luke chapter 1, <clears throat> what did I do? I got the wrong verse. Luke chapter 3 and verse 1. Now in the fifteenth year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, when Pontius Pilate was governor of Judea, and Herod was tetrarch of Galilee, and his brother Philip was tetrarch of the region of Ituria and Trachonitis, and Lysanias was tetrarch of Abilene, in that year, in the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, the word of God came to John. Very specific, clear thing. He knew when it happened. The word of God came to John, the son of Zacharias, in the wilderness. And he came into all the district around the Jordan, preaching a baptism of repentance for forgiveness of sins, as it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet. Now here he goes back and says, now this is what the prophet said. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, make ready the way of the Lord. Make his path straight. Every ravine shall be filled up, 
And every mountain and hill shall be brought low, and the crooked shall become straight, and the rough roads smooth. And all flesh shall see the salvation of God. Now notice this. John is preaching a baptism of repentance. What is repentance? You want a definition of repentance? Well, a definition of repentance is this. Every ravine and valley will be filled up. Those that are humble and lowly, God will come to them and lift them out of the ashes because He has compassion on the one who is humble and broken and lowly. He came to bind up the brokenhearted, proclaim release to the captives, you see. What is repentance? Well, uh, those that are humbled and broken will be lifted up. What else? Every mountain and hill shall be brought low. That's what happens in, in a repentant heart. All those things that exalt themselves against God are broken down and made low. And the crooked shall become straight. That's what happens in repentance. The crooked is made straight. And the rough places, the rough roads are made smooth. Now when you see repentance in a person's life, what you see is you see all these crooked things get straightened out and the rough things get smoothed out. And all the high things get cut down. And all the low things get bound up and lifted up and made smooth. That's really uh, an amazing description of repentance. And so John was out here preaching a baptism of repentance, uh, preparing the way for the Lord, making a highway for God. And uh, whenever you see uh, this type of thing happening, where the crooked's made straight and the rough places plain and the mountains are brought down and so on, uh, you see a roadway that God can walk upon. And that's um, what happens in the heart of the repentant sinner. But at any rate, we see here this principle that mountains and hills represent something. And valleys represent something. And rough places and crooked places and so on represent something. One more passage along this, this line in Zephaniah. I'm sorry, I keep getting the wrong verses here. I'm looking at two things. Zach, Zechariah. <clears throat> Zechariah 4, very familiar passage, but we sometimes we don't think about these things. Zechariah 4, 6. Then he answered and said to me, This is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel, saying, Not by might nor by power, but by my Spirit, says the Lord of hosts. What are you, O great mountain? Before Zerubbabel you will become a plain. And he will bring forth the top stone that is of the temple with shouts of grace, grace to it. <coughs> you see the idea? All the opposition that's in his way is represented as a great mountain. You remember what Jesus said, if there's this mountain in front of you and you have faith, that mountain will be taken out of the way and cast into the sea. And uh, here in this situation, there's this great mountain before Zerubbabel who was actually a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ in building this temple. And he says that great mountain will become a plain. You see the language here? Not talking about physical things, talking about spiritual things. Well, uh, what does it mean then uh, in Zechariah 14 and verse 10 
when it says that the land will be changed into a plain all around Jerusalem, and Jerusalem will rise. Well, just this. We live in a day right now when Jerusalem is surrounded with mountains. The mountains are round about Jerusalem, and there are all types of high things exalting themselves against the knowledge of God, and all types of things competing for the attention of men, competing with God and with the church in the, in the attention of the world. But there's a day coming when every mountain that surrounds Jerusalem will be flattened out. And Jerusalem will rise, the church and the people of God. All the other things that compete against the church and surround the church shall be abased and made low. But the church will rise to preeminence and be exalted. Now that's just what he's saying here. Now think of this. We see a little taste of this in times of revival. You remember um, some of you have heard the account from Duncan Campbell of the Hebrides revival. When God moved there, that was in 1949, uh, something like 30 or more years later when Duncan Campbell went back there, and let's see, it would have been 20-some years later when he went back there, he, he said the drinking houses were still boarded up 20 years later. You're getting a little taste of what's going to happen in the last day when all these other mountains begin to come down and one mountain rises up above everything else. In the Welsh Revival in 1904, um, you remember, I mean, there was such a move of God that the, that the theaters and the sports events were left unattended and everybody was flocking by droves to come to the gathering of the saints. And so what happened there? The mountains that were competing against the church came down. And Jerusalem rose up. That's what happened. And you remember, uh, I've told this story a number of times, the police did not have any work to do because crime was so vastly altered that the police became traffic directors for the revival meetings. And they they formed... uh, quartets and that type of thing so that they could sing in the meetings. Now that was incredible. What's happening? The land is smoothing out. Everything else is smoothing out and Jerusalem is rising to its proper position. Now we don't see that in our day, beloved. I mean, the church is scoffed at in general by the world. And uh, when the world wants to do something, the world does something and the church bows down to it and the world is exalted. That's just the way it is in general. And uh, so he says here, it's not going to be like that. You remember in the book of Acts, when God began to move in such great power, it says that no man dared join himself to them. They were afraid of them, even, because of the power of God upon them. Well, that's this exalting taking place. Now, that happens uh, in a little measure in times when the Spirit of God is poured out. I mean... Uh, even even right here in this place, I can remember when the church first began, it was a thing of, can we meet more? Can we have an extra meeting? Can we have two Bible studies instead of one? What is that? That's just God working in hearts. And Jerusalem rises up and everything else sinks down. because Not because you're trying to make it be that way, but just because God begins to have His full place in your heart and you, you see things the way they really are.
<clears throat> when we begin to lose that, then we begin to go after uh, broken cisterns many times that won't hold any water. Well, um, he says in that day, this will be total and complete. Everything around the people of God will go down. Every, every mountain and hill will be brought low. And the valley will be exalted. And God's people will be exalted. Now, let's just look at another passage on this. Isaiah chapter 2. What I'm trying to do is give you a feel for, and as you begin to look at these prophets in the Old Testament, you begin to see these similar themes coming up over and over in the different prophets. But here in Isaiah chapter 2, the word which Isaiah the son of Amos saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. Now it will come about that in the last days, the mountain of the house of the Lord will be established as the chief of the mountains, and it will be raised above the hills, and all the nations will stream to it. And many peoples will come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that He may teach us concerning His ways, and that we may walk in His paths. For the law will go forth from Zion and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem and He will judge between the nations and will render decisions for many peoples. And they will hammer their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will not lift up sword against nation and never again will they learn war. Now, we know that already this is beginning to happen again in the church. And uh, the nations are streaming to the Lord uh, that He might teach them His ways. But it won't be complete, and we, don't, we haven't seen the fulfillment of this. I mean, nation will not lift up sword against nation again. I mean, we haven't seen the fulfillment of that and won't until the last day. And then it will be perfected. But uh, interesting, isn't it? The very same language. Uh, the mountain of the house of the Lord will be established as the chief, and it will be raised up above all the rest. A similar picture here to this one in Zechariah. And so uh, the exalting of God's people and the abasing of the proud. And so there are two aspects to this that I want us to look at today. First of all, the bringing down... There's just two parts to it. One part is the bringing down of every hill. Now, you could, he could have just said that. All these mountains will be brought down low. And Jerusalem would stand out in some way. But he says two things. He says all the mountains will be brought low. And he says Jerusalem will be raised up. Both things are going to happen. So on the one hand... Uh, all pride will be humbled. Think of this. All pride will be humbled. And all of the humble will be actually exalted and honored. That's what's going to happen. 
again, we see this principle over and over in Scripture. Let's just look at two or three verses on it. Proverbs 29. <clears throat> We've been turning to lots of verses, but I don't know any other way to do it to get a feel for this. <coughs> Proverbs 29 and verse 23. This is in this again, we're just looking at a representative selection of scripture. A man's pride will bring him low. Pride goes before a fall. Pride goes before destruction. And a haughty spirit before a fall. A man's pride will bring him low, but a humble spirit will obtain honor. There's the exaltation, so there's the other side. Again, in Luke 1, this is the one I started to have you turn to earlier. Luke 1. Verse 51. <coughs> this is Mary here. Um, in what's called the Magnificat. Luke 1, uh, 1 verse 51. He has done mighty deeds with His arm. He has scattered those who were proud in the thoughts of their heart. He has brought down rulers from their thrones. And what? And has exalted those who were humble. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent away the rich empty-handed. So He brings down rulers from their throne, exalts those who are humble. Same principle again. One more passage on it. And this one may be especially relevant. Zephaniah. Zephaniah. A couple books before Zechariah. Chapter 3. Uh, beginning at the end of verse 11. He says, For then... I will remove from your midst your proud, exalting ones, and you will never again be haughty on my holy mountain. But I will leave among you a humble and lowly people, and they will take refuge in the name of the Lord. The remnant of Israel will do no wrong and tell no lies, nor will a deceitful tongue be found in their mouths, for they shall feed and lie down with no one to make them tremble. So here again, this begins now in the church, but it will be perfected finally in the last day when absolutely there will be not one bit of pride left in the world. Oh, quite a thing, isn't it? Not one bit of pride left in the world. Um, the putting down of the proud, the exalting of the humble. Well, let's look at this in a little more detail. First of all, then, all pride will be destroyed in that day. Beloved, there's a day coming when all pride, all pride will be abased, every bit of it. Amazing thing. Isaiah chapter 2. Now we already read verses 1 to 4. 
And it says in verse 2 that the mountain of the house of the Lord will be established as the chief of the mountains and will be raised above the hills. Now, we see in this chapter that this is figurative. Now let's look at verse, beginning at verse 11. He tells what he means by this in these verses. Isaiah 2 and verse 11. The proud look of man, the proud look of man will be abased, and the loftiness of man will be humbled, and the Lord alone will be exalted in that day. Doesn't that sound like what we're reading in Zechariah? The Lord alone will be exalted in that day. For the Lord of hosts will have a day of reckoning against every one who is proud and lofty and against every one who is lifted up that he may be abased. And it will be against all the cedars of Lebanon that are lofty and lifted up. Now God doesn't have anything against trees. It's talking about the people. It's talking about that, you know, Lebanon was proud of those big cedar trees. That was what they had. It will be against all the cedars of Lebanon that are lift, lofty and lifted up, and against all the oaks of Bashan, against all the lofty mountains, against all the hills that are lifted up. You see? All these hills are going to be brought down. Against every high tower against every fortified wall, against all the ships of Tarshish. Now, that's what they were proud of. They had all these fancy ships. Now, you just go down through the list. I mean, it's fortified walls and tall towers and tall trees and tall hills and uh, fancy ships. Verse 16, against all the beautiful craft. And the pride of man will be humbled. And the loftiness of men will be abased. And the Lord alone will be exalted in that day. God will be king over all the earth. But the idols will completely vanish. Men will go into caves of the rocks and into holes of the ground before the terror of the Lord and before the splendor of His majesty when He arises to make the earth tremble. In that day men will cast away to the moles and the bats their idols of silver and their idols of gold which they made for themselves to worship in order to go into the caverns of the rocks and the cliffs of the cliffs before the terror of the Lord and the splendor of His majesty when He arises to make the earth tremble. Then He sums it up. Stop regarding man whose breath is in his nostrils for why should he be esteemed? Every person, regardless who they are, what they are. And you know, it happens in all spheres, isn't it? It's amazing. In the, in the sports realm, we've got Michael Jordan. In the intellectual realm, we've got guys like Albert Einstein. And they're just as idolized, no matter, I mean, and again, go down through every discipline and everything, and you find the same type of thing, regard for men. And he said, the day is coming when everybody is going to have their sight corrected. And they'll see that nothing, I mean, any little thing that man has has been given to him by God. And so all the idols will be cast away. All pride will be put down. You see how parallel this is to Zechariah 14? Same thing. Same type of thing. The Lord alone will be God and be Lord in that day. 
the putting down of pride. One more passage on this in Job. <clears throat> God is speaking to Job in um, Job 40. You remember towards the end of Job, God begins to talk to Job directly and um, ask him if he's able to do the various things that God does. And uh, in verse 10 of Job 40, God's speaking to Job and He says, Adorn yourself with eminence and dignity and clothe yourself with honor and majesty. Pour out the overflowings of your anger and look on everyone who is proud and make him low. That's what God's anger is directed toward. Everyone who is proud. And he says, make him low. Look on everyone who is proud and humble him and tread down the wicked where they stand. Hide them in the dust together. Bind them in the hidden place. Then I will also confess to you that your own right hand can save you. So God is saying to Job, can you do these things? This is what I do. This is what I do to the proud. I tread them down where they stand. I humble them. I hide them in the dust together. That's happening all the time. Every time God takes away the life of a proud man, he goes down and he's hidden in the dust. You can go over to the cemetery here in town, uh, the old one, which is quite an amazing cemetery in many ways, goes clear back to Civil War times. And you go down through there, and you'll see a lot of the names of streets in this town on the tombstones. They're all big tombstones that have the names of the streets. What is it? It's, it's men that were important at one time. And now they're in the dust right beside those little tombstones. They're in the very same place. And that's what it says here. God will do that. Now, He's been doing it all down through history, like uh, Mary said there, he takes rulers right off their throne and puts them down. Many times exalts humble people. But that's just a faint picture compared to what's going to happen. Every proud person and every proud institution and everything that competes against God is going to get flattened out because God hates pride. Remember what it says in Proverbs? Six things doth the Lord hate. Yea, seven are an abomination to Him. Number one, a proud look. The first thing that He mentions. He hates pride because... Why? Because all pride is a competition against God as God. Whenever pride comes up, man is making himself out to be God. Now... In closing on this point, let me just say this. Beloved, do you see pride anywhere? Anywhere. I mean even in the church or amongst professing Christians or even in your own heart. If you see pride, I guarantee this, one day it's not going to be there. Every proud thing is going to get flattened. It's going to be just a nice level plane. Because every bit of pride is a little bit of rising up against God and saying, I'm going to be God. And he does not like that. He hates it. And he's determined to put it down. But the humble will be exalted and honored. That's the other side. Jerusalem will rise. 
Think of this. Who would you rather have honored than somebody that is totally humble? I mean, it's wonderful when you've got a humble person that's honored and exalted. And what do they do when they're honored and exalted? They cast their crowns before the Lord because they are humble. Uh, I always think of our friend there in Iowa, Baylor Zuki, as a as one of the he's a man who's clothed with humility. I can't imagine anybody I'd rather see exalted than someone like that. God's going to take the people that don't hunger for being exalted and know they're not worthy to be exalted and that are exalting only the Lord, and he's going to honor them. He's going to exalt them. That's what he said. Let's look at Micah chapter 4. Micah 4. Now this is an interesting thing. If you begin at verse 1, just listen to how this reads. This is the prophet Micah. And it will come about in the last days that the mountain of the house of the Lord will be established as the chief of the mountains. It sounds familiar, doesn't it? It will be raised above the hills and the peoples will stream to it. And many nations will come and say, Come and let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that He may teach us about His ways and that we may walk in His paths. For from Zion will go forth the law, even the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. And He will judge between many peoples and render decisions for mighty distant nations. Then they will hammer their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will not lift up sword against nation. And never again will they train for war. Now, when God repeats something almost verbatim in Scripture, it means it's important, doesn't it? Never again will they train for war. And each of them will sit under his vine and under his fig tree with no one to make them afraid. For the mouth of the Lord of hosts has spoken. Though all the peoples walk each in the name of his God, as for us, we will walk in the name of the Lord our God forever and ever. In that day, declares the Lord, I will assemble the lame and gather the outcasts, even those whom I have afflicted. I will make the lame a remnant and the outcast a strong nation. And the Lord will reign over them in Mount Zion from now on and forever. See that? He gathers the the lowly, the broken, the lame, the maimed, the halt, the blind. Puts them together in a nation and exalts them. We're talking about God that one day just as certainly as God will humble all pride. That just that certain he will exalt all humility. He'll lift them up because there's no competition in the humble between the humble and God. He will exalt the humble. And he says here he's going to take a bunch of lame people and outcasts and turn them into a mighty nation that he rules over forever and ever. The humble will be exalted. You remember what Jesus said, then the righteous will shine forth like the sun. 
in the kingdom of their father. Listen to this, Matthew chapter 5, verse 5. Blessed are the gentle or humble or meek, for they shall inherit the earth. See this? All the proud will be brought low. The humble will inherit the earth. So the ones that that tend to be walked on now are the ones who are going to get to have the whole world in the end. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are the humble. They're going to be exalted. They are going to inherit the whole world. What a thing this is. Let me just read the promise once again that we're dealing with here. Who are the children of Abraham? Christians. Now this is what God says. I will give to you and to your seed after you the land of your sojournings for an everlasting possession and I will be their God. I'll give you and your children the land of their sojournings. And as long as we are, I mean, it's a, it's a great thing to be strangers and pilgrims in this world because that's people that are going to get to have it forever. If we feel at home here, we're not going to abide here. It's the people who are the strangers and pilgrims that are going to inherit the whole world. Well, I say, who would we rather think of? It's a joy to think of the humble being honored. I think in closing, I'll just give one scripture. 1 Peter 5 and verse 5. He says, All of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another. For God is opposed to the proud, but He gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, We're all under the hand of God right now. But the question is, are we going to humble ourselves under it? Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that He may exalt you at the proper time. There will be a time coming when everyone who humbles themselves will be exalted. Well, amen. Anyone have something to... Add or share?